Cinema Obscura. The late 70s success of the original Star Wars movie had the major studios scrambling to put anything space-like on the big screen. It resulted in countless failed attempts to capture the magic of Luke Skywalker and company, and many of those efforts featured some very forgettable casts. But in 1980, one movie had genuine star power, featured an Oscar-nominated and eventual Academy Award-winning actor and a female lead who dominated pop culture in her time. But in this case, it was a robot that stole the show, you could say. I'm Steve Nikhazy, and I'm joined by independent Philly filmmaker Andre Bennett. Andre, today's movie is... Saturn 3. Dun, dun, dun. This movie has loomed large in my consciousness since I was a kid because I saw it on TV when I was very small, and a lot of what I remember is people running through corridors. Yes. That's my dominant <laughs> yeah. memory of it, or at least it was. Yeah, and, and one dark scene involving a dog, and we won't go there. The pairing of a 60-ish Kirk Douglas with an early 30s Farrah Fawcett. I understand she actually celebrated her 32nd birthday while they were filming that movie. It was more of a curiosity uh, when Saturn Three was released in 1980. Yeah, that actually almost belies the trouble that went into the making of it because this was a troubled production. It was directed by Stanley Donen, the great director who brought us Singing in the Rain, mm-hmm. Charade. This is not one of his great movies. Yeah, the, the <laughs> last of the Hollywood golden directors Yeah, doing this. But he wasn't the original director. The original director was John Barry, not to be confused with the composer John Barry, but the production designer who had just come off of Star Wars and Superman. Mm -hmm. So one of the good things about this movie is the sets are amazing. They're expansive. They're detailed. They're astonishing. For me, that's pretty much kind of where my good list ends. Um, (laughs) Going back to the the original director, here's a guy from what I have been reading who preferred to work in his office. He didn't like to deal with, uh, with the talent so much. That's what Donan said. But John Barry had actually done second unit directing work on Superman. And when he left this production, he was fired two weeks in. He went back to Empire Strikes Back where he had started on pre-production there before this got greenlit. Mm. And he went on to do second unit work there. Unfortunately, two weeks into that, he died of meningitis. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a hard way to go. Talking about the stars, though, and uh, we're saying Kirk Douglas, he was what's. 62, 63, something like that. He was. But but he was in great shape for this movie. And he wanted everyone to know. Yeah, he did. He spared no opportunity to go naked with the cameras on or off. Yeah. From what Mm -hmm. I understand, the screenwriter of the movie ended up writing a book that uh, loosely fictionalized the production of it. And one of the details in that book was the male lead of this big science fiction movie would always be naked on set and apparently... That was Kirk Douglas a lot of the time. <laughs> and I had no idea, you know, the dimple in his chin, that he had two dimples on his butt cheeks. That's pretty – I'm making that up. <laughs> I was about I'm, to say, I did not notice yeah, that. There's, there's, I didn't look that closely. No frontal nudity, of course. But you get to see Kirk Douglas's rear end. Spartax's rear end yeah. in, in one scene. You and, get to see most, most of Kirk Douglas. And uh, as far as the, the nudity goes beyond that with Farrah Fawcett. I think they wanted more, but uh, Farrah pushed back on it. From what I understand, Mm -hmm. the whole movie was supposed to be this gothic sort of haunted house erotic thriller in space with just three characters, this very low key thing. And it ended up spiraling out of control. A lot of that had to do with the robot. Yeah. Let's bring everybody up to date on on the plot because we have two people who are basically lovers living on this moon doing hydroponics. 
Yes, uh, Adam and Alex are uh, food researchers living on the third moon of Saturn when they're interrupted by another astronaut who is ostensibly there to check on them and see how they're doing. The problem is that this guy, played by Harvey Keitel, actually killed the the real person who was supposed to perform this check and took his place because he is apparently, I guess, psychotic. Yeah, and his origin is kind of murky. It's very murky. They never really explain exactly why he's going to Saturn III. There's like a couple lines that say that he was assigned to go to Saturn III but failed a psychological exam, Mm -hmm. was replaced. But instead of allowing that, he killed the guy who replaced him in a spectacularly gory scene. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much in the opening of the movie. And it kind of blew me away how this guy died. I won't spoil it for anyone who wants to see this, but it's... It's pretty spectacular. Yeah, it's pretty out there, like, right away. Harvey Keitel, I keep reading how his voice was dubbed. It was. It was dubbed by Roy Dotrice. I certainly remember him from the Beauty and the Beast TV series, but he's a very uh, storied British actor. He dubbed Keitel's voice with a mid-Atlantic accent. The story was that Donan and Lord Lou Grade, the producer, did not care for Harvey Keitel's Brooklyn accent. So they wanted him to do something else in ADR, but he refused to do ADR. So they ended up hiring Dotrice to do an uncredited dub. We would get Keitel's real voice in, in other movies, including Pulp Fiction. Yes, in Mean Streets. You know. <laughs> exactly. Now, as mentioned, the uh, eight-foot-tall robot Hector steals the show. Hector is the other thing that I remember because he's such a unique design. I personally don't know that I care for that design, but it's very unique. He's this tall thing with like a detailed chest plate and spindly arms and legs and pincers. Yeah. But he yeah. doesn't have a head. He just has like an eye stalk. He has like these right. two light light up eyes. They ran out of money before they could build yes. a head for the for the robot. And in the movie, Hector operates on a brain that is composed entirely of the brains of fetuses, which is hugely disturbing to me. <laughs> it, it just on a visual level because that big tank of, of brain matter mm-hmm. just looks like Oh, my God. You had a merging of artificial and human intelligence all, all in the same time. Yeah. The robot is said to cost a million dollars, one million nineteen eighty dollars to build. Yeah. And 20 people to animate the yeah. robot. A million just to build it. And then you had to pay all those people to to actually <laughs> yeah. operate it. And that was like all like operated by radio control. And he didn't always work mm-hmm. as, as these things, you know, sometimes do. I hesitate to say that I truly found Hector creepy until – a shot in the end where he finally kind of fulfills that promise. What did you think of him visually? I'm thinking that the people behind Robocop took a look at Hector and said, let's use some of that <laughs> in our movie. And, and that was very effective. And the, the fact that the robot may have had a romantic leaning toward uh, Farrah Fawcett's character too. Yeah. Harvey Keitel's character, Benson, uses a direct neural link to program Hector. But what Hector gets from that is also his attraction to Farrah Fawcett's character and also his 
homicidal tendencies. Yeah. And who wouldn't be uh, attracted to Farrah Fawcett's character because she brought her whole wardrobe into space oh, yeah, for this, this assignment. Every scene she's wearing something different, including a space teddy in one scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there was another outfit that actually got cut because that was from a scene that was apparently the most violent scene they shot, mm-hmm. a scene where they're basically on space ecstasy. And it's like this weird hallucination. But yeah, her wardrobe was was pretty stacked. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of, of that, uh, I'm sure a lot of VCR tapes were were wiped oh, out. Yeah. <laughs> being paused for one scene where there's a brief uh, a bit of a shot of nudity with, with Vera Fawcett. Yeah. Just, just her top. This was like – this was peak Vera Fawcett. She was at the top of her game as far as popularity, I believe. But personally, it wasn't a great time for her. Her marriage to Lee Majors right. was falling apart. Yeah. This is right after, uh, I guess, Charlie's Angels and such. So this is still Farrah Fawcett, yeah. capital letters. But behind the scenes, she's going through uh, some turmoil. So it's not the best time for her. Mm-hmm. Kirk Douglas is acting a fool and dropping his trousers or whatever all the time. Harvey <laughs> Keitel doesn't know what to make of any of this. The director is getting replaced and the other director just kind of doesn't really care for science fiction. But you know – the movie is a marvel to look at for, for the it reasons is. you were talking about. Uh, a, a little bit of Alien in yes. there, uh, a little bit of uh, Silent Running in there. Yeah. The lighting is just spectacular in this movie. Any atmosphere really comes just from that. And I guess that, again, goes to John Barry, who had done such a great job designing you know, the Death Star and the Fortress of Solitude. So mm-hmm. Saturn Three looks like... Yeah. I mean, that's the best looking the movie gets because the special effects themselves, like the space effects, are no great shakes. But the actual Saturn three sets are are marvelous. Took at least four months to build, and it yeah. certainly looks that way. We have a clip. We do. This is where they unveil the robot. And what's in the... And exactly what's in the container. In the container, <laughs> yes. So Farrah Fawcett in this movie, like we said, this was her like peak popularity, but she's very limited here. And with the dialogue, you wonder, is this guy really an android? So you'll have to watch the movie to find out. Yeah, the script to me is just a mess. There are good ideas here in the margins. The idea of this debauched earth that these two people have basically you know, exiled themselves from and this guy who basically represents that society intruding into it. But the way the characters are written, it kind of eliminates a lot of the nuance and subtext from that. So what you get is just here's this one idea. Here's this other idea. They literally butt heads and it's a mess. It's a fascinating mess. <laughs> but it's a mess. And uh, they, a lot of money was spent on it. Saturn Three easily screened. Yes, this is available on Amazon Prime to stream. It's also available on a uh, recently released Blu-ray that has, from what I understand, a lot of special features. So if you're interested in more of the story – of this movie, and it is a fascinating story behind the scenes, then check it out. And we want you to stay in touch with us, too. Yes, we're at Pod on Twitter, so reach us there if you want to talk to us about movies, about the movies we cover. If you have any questions about this movie or other movies, cult movies, pretty much we're down to talk about 
anything. <laughs> anything. Movie, anything. Anything movie related. <laughs> we are down to talk at C Obscura Pod. Join us. Join us with the dialogue. Thank you, Andre. Thank you, Steve. Cinema Obscura. And I'm Steve Nicasey, along with Andre Bennett. Cinema Obscure is recorded and produced in the KYW studios in Philadelphia. For more shows, check out the Radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Steve Nicasey. That was an improper thought leakage.